As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It's a COVID-19 consumer roundup, the big issues that affect your wallet and the economy. As Wisconsin prepares for more businesses to reopen today, there's still a struggle to get the basic tool that helps them screen employees for COVID-19. But first, you'll hear from people who receive their stimulus checks. There's just one problem. Those checks are made out to people who are dead. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hi, Amanda. We are recording more frequent episodes of Open Record Monday through Friday to help you sort through what can really be an overwhelming amount of coronavirus news. We are recording this on Tuesday morning, May 12th, 2020, and we're here once again with Contact 6 investigator Jenna Sachs. Good morning, Jenna. Good morning. So, Jenna, we're going to start with stimulus checks. We've talked on this podcast before about the struggles people have had getting those checks. This time, you're going to talk about people who are getting them, but there's kind of a surprising twist. So why did they send us check? And how many more people are receiving these checks that have passed away? I'm just wondering you know, how many are getting forged and cashed or who knows what happens to them. So the interesting thing is we spoke with two families for this story and neither of them have received their own stimulus checks. So when these letters arrived in the mail, they assumed that their stimulus checks had finally arrived. But when they opened them, they realized that the name listed on those stimulus checks belonged to a loved one who had died. Uh, One family I spoke with uh, say the check was made out to their son, Jason, who died in November 2018. And the other family, it was a gentleman who found out the the check was made out to his brother, Alan, who died exactly one year ago in his 70s. So they were very surprised to see this was a problem. They had heard that it was happening because there have been many reports about this problem across the country. And this really made them ask, wow, how widespread is this problem? Well, an interesting thing here, Jenna, is it appears the government knows that these people are dead, right? In one of these cases, it appears that way because this check went to the father of a man named Jason Killips. Jason was fatally stabbed in 2018. And next to his name on the check were the letters D-E-C-D, which is a short way of saying deceased. So it appears that this check was made out to a man who the IRS knew was deceased. Now, the other check sent out to the older gentleman who had died, his name was Alan Harab. That didn't have those letters next to it, but we weren't able to get any sort of answer from the IRS or the Treasury Department about why those letters were on the check. And I, there were other reports like this across the country, other people who have deceased relatives who had those letters on the check, which appear to indicate that the government knew these people were dead. 
I, I'm assuming, obviously, the government's trying to get out millions and millions of these checks, and they're trying to do it quickly, and they are basing who receives these checks and where they go on uh, 2019 or 2018 taxes, depending on the most recent year that was filed. But it would seem, and, and I assume, I, I also assume that if you've had a, a relative who's passed, there is still some tax filing that goes on to wrap up their estate. But in the case where you've actually filed and, and somehow the IRS is aware of their status as being deceased, it just seems strange that there wasn't someone at the IRS who went, you know what, maybe we shouldn't send these out at all. Um, it, it, it didn't, it, it had to pass through someone's desk, right? You would think so. I reached out to both the IRS and the U.S. Treasury, and they did not answer that question for me. I wanted to know how many of these checks were sent out, whether they knew this gentleman was deceased, if they'd like to comment on how that could have happened, and they did not respond to those specific questions. And since our story aired, actually, some lawmakers, including Representative Brian Stile from Wisconsin, sent a letter to commissioners of the IRS, the Treasury, and Social Security asking how this could have happened, you know, asking how many of these improper checks were sent out. Have there been steps taken to recover these payments, whether steps can be taken to prevent this from happening again and what's being done to maintain these death records those are all questions we wanted answered for our story but we we couldn't get answers to those questions we were simply referred to information on how to return those checks which has been posted on the irs website if you get a direct deposit you actually have to make out a check and send it back to the irs in the mail and on every envelope that you receive with a stimulus check, there is a box that says, if deceased, send back in the mail. There's no date listed for when you have to do that by, so it was kind of confusing for some people who have received it and they were holding on to their checks just because they felt no sense of urgency. But if you go on the IRS website, they now say you need to send those back immediately. But it's very confusing for people, especially when they say, well, the government knew my loved one was dead. If this the check was sent with that knowledge, maybe I should be able to keep it. There's been a lot of questions flying around about how this could have happened. And there's an emotional aspect to this too, right, Jenna? Because getting that check can bring up a lot of feelings, a lot of really strong emotions for family members who are in many cases still mourning the death of their loved one. Yes, one of the men I interviewed, his name is Ron Harib, and he lives in Delafield. And when the check arrived for his brother, Alan, in the mail, it was a reminder that this is the anniversary of the one-year passing of his brother. And it's not like you need a reminder in the mail to remember the people you've lost, but it is also a, a pang that you feel. And the other family lost their son very tragically. He was fatally stabbed. And they're, they're still dealing with that every day. And they're actually dealing with another issue we've discussed on this podcast before, which is there was a criminal trial that was supposed to happen by now, and it hasn't. It's been postponed till July or later. So that's something we've discussed before, the impact of COVID-19 on the court system. But yes, there is an emotional aspect when you get that check and you see the name of someone you love unexpectedly. Of course, it's a little bit of a pang. And for someone who's literally lost one to such a tragic thing as a, a stabbing death, it, it just, it, yeah, that's got to be a difficult thing when you're still coping with it. But I wonder for many of these people getting beyond the grief aspect, what happens if they don't return the money? I mean, what if they do keep it? What if they don't go through the process 
Does the IRS come after them? Do they come after the estate? Do we know? Is that still up in the air? Does the IRS have the resources to go after anyone if they don't have the resources to sort through who's dead and who's not? That's a really good question. Do they know who these checks were sent to in error? If they don't, how do they follow up and prosecute anybody? They say it's a felony, but there's a real lack of specifics here. And that's one of the questions those lawmakers asked is how will you recover these? Can you even recover these? And is even prosecuting people a possibility? What's interesting to me, too, is that I mean, it clearly someone knew that this was a possibility because it's right there on the envelope. You know, if someone's deceased, send this back. So it makes me wonder if the thought was get this out as soon as possible and then we'll just worry about recovery later um, and, and we'll just mark this and basically put the the weight of that on the person who receives the check um, it, because it, it can't have caught people totally by surprise if there already is a built-in mechanism for people to return it. And we should say the IRS has accomplished something uh, impressive here. They got out, you know, more than 130 million checks in four weeks. And that is a lot. And I think they knew that these issues were going to happen if they were based on tax records. There would be some people who had passed away since those tax filings. So it, I think they knew this would, this would happen to some extent. And, you know, this is where we should recognize, you know, they have put a lot of work into getting these checks out. A lot of people have gotten them. For those who haven't got them, it just becomes more and more frustrating to hear about people who have received them. I have gotten an email from a gentleman I, I featured in a story a few weeks back who was having issues with the website, the Get My Payment website. He finally got his stimulus checks. So some of the people I've talked to have gotten their stimulus checks. We've done a series of reports about these issues, and some haven't, and they're very frustrated. And then when you don't get yours, and then you see on the news that someone who's dead got a check, that's just kind of rubbing salt in the wound. This is always the case when you deal with emergency programs. The, the the government has to determine, is the urgency of getting the money out more important than the potential for making mistakes and getting money to people who don't need it or, or opening yourself up to fraud or things like that? And in this case, it seems that they decided the urgency of getting the money out was more important in the middle of this pandemic. But there is still a point at which you think there are simple things like, I mean, when it says deceased on the check that's probably a pretty good clue you could pull that one back. So it, it I, it's easy to look at that and, and maybe uh, sort of scoff at the IRS. I know, Jenna, you said some nice things in support. I think there's a lot of people listening who'd say, I'm not going to be that nice to the IRS. They're not nice to me. But that said, that's the one where I think you scratch your head and go, the letters are right there on the check. That That is very true. That's the real head scratcher here is if it was in their records, shouldn't there have been some way of referencing that or cross-referencing that, making that effort before sending out all of those checks. And I think you're right. I think there was a great sense of urgency here. They wanted to get those checks out fast. That was part of the appeal of this. We're going to get this money to you really quickly so we can help you right away. And I think that has left room for error. Yesterday, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers announced several of the state's retail stores can reopen with certain restrictions. Part of keeping COVID-19 from spreading is making sure your employees aren't sick. But Jenna, you found out that's hard to do when you don't have the screening equipment. I think we've done remarkably well. We have a very resilient staff. Um, they've really stepped up to the challenge. So this is the first one that we got. So a lot of businesses have been looking into the idea of screening their employees for 
fevers. That's one of the symptoms of COVID-19. And some businesses already have these practices in place. And a very common way of screening your employees is very simply buying some sort of thermometer uh, that you can use digitally, something that scans your forehead. And some businesses were trying to be proactive about this and get these thermometers ahead of time. And they had some difficulty because the supply chain for these particular items right now with electronic components that are coming from overseas are very bogged down. How so? So we focused on these thermometers for our story, and we spoke with a gentleman who owns Metcalf's Market. His name is Tim Metcalf, and he went online and he bought a set of thermometers from eBay uh, for about $70 each. They arrived a few weeks later, and they didn't work. They were erratic with their readings. The stickers were crooked. The instructions were really short. So he felt like he had bought something that wasn't um, worth the money. Maybe it was rushed to market. So he. Okay, can I just be clear about one thing? When you say seventy dollars, these are the like the 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 laser type thermometers, right? This isn't the one you stick in your mouth when you're a kid and you wait three minutes and then look at the mercury or something. Because that seems like seventy dollars would be outrageous for a, for something. These are the thermal scanners. Right. These are the thermal scanners. You point them at your forehead. You push a button. Um, so he ordered another round of thermometers, and this time he did pay inflated prices. He paid one hundred forty dollars for each thermometer. If you go online now, you can get them for more like sixty. So he paid some inflated prices. They arrived six weeks later, which is a wait, and those finally do work. And their protocol over there is if we have an employee among all of our stores within our organization who shows up sick or tests positive, I should say not shows up sick, but tests positive for COVID-19, we're going to start screening all of our employees for fever. They felt like that was a step they wanted to take. And now they're in the position to do that, but they really got caught in the supply chain because it takes a long time to get these items. And the reason is unlike toilet paper and hand sanitizer, which has American companies that can step up and produce those items quickly, Things like thermometers rely on electronic parts that come from China. And China was impacted by COVID-19 before our country was, and their manufacturing facilities and their factories were shut down. They were affected by COVID-19. And I spoke with uh, a man named Doug Fisher. He is the former director of Marquette Center for Supply Chain Management. So that's probably the right guy to talk to about the situation. Sure. And he said that, you know, normally if you're trying to set up a supply chain with someone who creates parts overseas, that can take three months under normal conditions. Under these situations where factories are backed up, where there's more demand for these items, uh, it takes even longer. And he says, you know, you may have every piece you need to make a digital thermometer, but you're only as strong as your weakest supplier. And if you're missing one screw, that comes from someone at a certain factory that's backed up, you can't get the item out to market. So he was saying it's it's understandable that we have backups for these specific electronic items. You know, you can try to pivot, who are your sources, go to different producers, but at the end of the day, these types of items just take time. And we went around to several stores. We sent our undercover producer into a lot of different stores. He could only find one thermometer on the shelves. We went online. There were very few thermometers that could be found in stores. If you want one, you may have to travel a good distance to a certain store, and then there's no guarantee it's going to be on the shelves. Uh, so it's it's a hard item to come by right now. You know, I, I you said you talked to the supply chain expert, and I think to myself, up until now, how many people were going to universities and saying, we really need to talk to your supply chain expert on the news, <laughs> but suddenly they're in really high demand because there's so many questions about the supply chain of so many various things. But the one thing that strikes me about this one is 
with the thermal scanner. So many businesses now are doing thermometer checks of employees to try to detect if employees are infected. But the greatest concern, and I know maybe this goes off the consumer topic a bit, but it's it's certainly on topic with thermometers. The greatest concern with COVID-19 is the asymptomatic spread. So many people who have COVID-19 and don't know it. And a temperature scan is not going to detect that. So while that's that's a step, it's something that can certainly help. I do wonder just how much it's going to help as things ramp back up. You know, that's a very good point. I think businesses are focusing on what can we do? And fever is a very obvious symptom. I think there have been several reports that say you're most contagious when you have that fever too. Uh, so perhaps this is just one thing they can try to do. Even much of this is going to be out of their control. Let's acknowledge that. But detecting fever is one thing they can do. And there are other items they could buy. There are other people who are buying, you know, thermal scanners that people walk through. There's a lot of different items that are hitting the market that measure employee temperature. Not all of them are FDA approved, we should mention, but there are a lot of different items that businesses are looking to pick up so they can start scanning employees for fever. Just one symptom they can look for. And Jenna, when we're talking about these different methods that businesses are using, what is the significance of that FDA approval? Well, the FDA approval basically means that it's been tested uh, appropriately. They've reviewed that testing and they, the government gives its seal of approval to that item saying, this is, we consider this safe to use. We acknowledge that this works. And that's something you can generally look for in a lot of different products. We often think of supplements. You know, that's a very common thing to not have FDA approval. If you wanted to take some sort of vitamin supplement or take CBD, for example, those are things that aren't FDA approved. Some people may say they work, but the government is not going to say this is regulated. Uh, this is our seal of approval. It, it, this has been found to work in certain cases. Well, I could see that being a big deal, too. If you have, as you mentioned, uh, Tim Metcalf, the first batch of these uh, thermometers he got were erratic. If you aren't really paying that close attention to the quality of what you have and you start detecting employees have fevers who don't have fevers, you could cause a real disruption not only in your business but in people's lives with something that's that's not accurate. So in, in this case, the importance of accuracy with these devices is, is very high. And the backup plan for a lot of businesses is just to ask a series of questions. And maybe people would prefer to have their temperature scanned rather than answer questions like, how are you feeling today? Is anyone in your family sick? Maybe they would prefer to have just the simple scan rather than to have to go through that line of questioning every day. Well, and I mean, especially in this case, we're, we're talking about grocery stores, we're talking about markets. These are essential businesses because they are considered a crucial part of our food supply. So I think it's interesting to see how different stores, and Brian, you've talked about this a little bit, how they're trying to protect their employees and their customers. And I don't think this is going to be the last we hear of that. Well, no, in fact, I think there's a lot more and we could do our uh, whole podcast on this. Maybe we will tomorrow. Who knows? But as uh, this new wave of business reopenings happens where we start to see stores, smaller stores, strip malls, things like that that are opening up who can have, what is it, up to five employees in the store at a time? How is some of this going to work both to protect customers and protect employees? How is this going to work in practice? I've seen people you know, already on social media questioning, oh, how are they going to enforce that? With so much of this, whether you're an employer or you're a shopper, 
worry or just someone who's trying to do their best. So much of this, as the governor said from day one, is about voluntary compliance. It's sort of setting standards that you hope people will follow to try to prevent the spread, not so much set it up for police enforcement. And this is another one of those cases where, like you say, Jenna, businesses are doing the best they can to try to detect what they can in their employees. Think about it wasn't long ago that people would show up to a workplace and they would be coughing and hacking and there was sort of a badge of courage that they were powering through and not taking a sick day. Imagine that now. Now at least we're taking it seriously. If you're sick, stay home. We get emails all the time from people who work at businesses saying, my coworkers are showing up sick or you know, I don't feel like my, my employer is doing enough to stop this practice. So when you show up sick now, people don't like it. <laughs> they, they write the news. They, they, they're very uncomfortable if you're coughing next to them right now. It's not a good time to have seasonal allergies or anything. Boy, that's true. I was at the grocery store over the weekend and, uh, and allergies are really kicking in and my eyes were itching and I didn't want to walk around the store touching my face, but my eyes were watering and I sneezed and I immediately oh, no. felt just this intense paranoia that everyone was looking at me like, oh my God, what's he doing here? But that's one of the things that's really, uh, now I was wearing a mask and all that and I, you know, got right out of the store and, but it, it's, it's embarrassing now to even so much as cough or sneeze in public. It's certainly a change from what things were like just a couple of months ago. So much of our life has changed. It, I, the idea of going out into some of these big public places like an <laughs> arena or in a big event like that, it just makes you wonder, when are we going to feel comfortable doing that again, getting back to life as normal? They were talking about the Brewers season maybe kicking off in July. We don't know what that's going to look like, but are people going to feel comfortable going to sit at a Brewers game if that's even an option? I I don't know. Imagine high-fiving all the random fans around you after a home run. We never oh thought twice gosh. about it. And now it's like cringeworthy. The gentleman I interviewed, you mentioned, Brian, how nobody was really calling the supply chain management professor before. I actually talked to him about that because he retired last year and I said, now you're more in demand than ever before. And he said, you know, courses are going to be taught about this issue. There, there are going to be professors teaching classes about supply chain management during COVID-19, what people were trying to do to get different parts and meet the demands of the market and how they were pivoting and trying to, to make everything work. There are going to be so many books written about this time and different things that we're all experiencing. Uh, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to read them. <laughs> going back to get my master's in supply chain management. You're right. All right. Well, thank you uh, once again for joining us, Jenna. We love having you on and look forward to the next batch of stories you're going to bring us because we're going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record as we cover this seemingly never-ending COVID-19 pandemic. If there's a topic you want us to discuss on the podcast, we want to hear from you. If there's an issue you think we should investigate, let us know. Send us an email at theinvestigators at fox6now.com. That's T-H-E investigators at fox6now.com. Thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Open Record when you have a chance. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, and for Brian Polson, we will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.